Welcome to Pietas Gabfest, a chapter-by-chapter, page-to-screen analysis of the Harry Potter series. I'm Sarah Day. I'm James. And I'm Meigs. And today we're analyzing The Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 12, Polyjuice Potion. This is an hour and 13 minutes to about an hour and 25 minutes of the film. Before we start gabbing, we wanted to give you a quick spoiler warning. We will be using our vast knowledge of the Harry Potter films and books to be having this conversation. We may gab about moments that happen later in the series. So you've been warned, Dickle Firsties. Before we begin, a message from the Daily Prophet. No one wants to wait hours for a potion to brew. Ditch the cauldron and order a Blendjet 2 portable blender today. Sure to get you invited to Slughorn's parties, the Blendjet 2 makes blending so easy and convenient. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up your potions even while riding a broomstick. It's small enough to fit in your cloak, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like frozen fruit and lacewing flies with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning potion without waking up the whole common room. Lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. That, that's a muggle contraption. Best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. I really want to get the black one and add the Hufflepuff logo. Yes. Yeah, and I want a blue one so that it'll match, well, Ravenclaw, but also my kitchen counters. <laughs> <laughs> That's, like, super important. It's got to yeah. match the ki- kitchen counters. It's nice and convenient if that can happen. Black goes with anything, so I think I'm good. Yeah, it's true. Well, what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and two free day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code GABFEST12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Welcome back, listeners. So we kick off this chapter with our first look at Dumbledore's office. What did you guys think of this whole scene? We have a quick conversation with the sorting hat. We discover a new magical creature. And uh, we have a quick cameo from our favorite half giant. I mean, I I thought it was like fine looking at it just from a movie perspective. I think that they... You know, they're all good at acting and the set design is always amazing and all of that. So I think it was fine. But of course, there was just a lot of the the feeling that is captured in the books, I, I think, is missing in the in the movie. I think that um, 
like the sorting hat scene again i think is fine but being nitpicky like i think that like the sorting hat staying on the shelf and talking to harry seems a lot more intimidating and less personal and just i don't know just kind of takes away some of the character of it whereas like the fact that in order for the sorting hat to talk to harry or to communicate, it has to be on his head. I think even that little detail mm-hmm. ends up making a big difference with how the the characters connect with each other. Um, and then Hagrid, Hagrid, I feel like they cut him out of so much other stuff in the movie. So to have him suddenly burst in, <laughs> um, well, and we talked about that last week, yeah, because there was a deleted scene, and it makes so much more sense. Yeah. For this, you know, for him to come into this um, room and say Harry didn't do it. And in the book, he literally says, I was just with him. He didn't have time. And so Mm. it's so random in the film and it's so out of place for him to just barge in. And like, first of all, how does he know? Why does he think or how does he know that this has happened? Why does he think that like, why is he defending Harry other than the fact that it's Harry, you know? Um, whereas mm-hmm. in the book, we have that scene moments before where um, they have a conversation and he literally says, in this chapter, it's impossible. Like, I was with him. There's no way he could have done it. And it's just, it just makes so much more sense in the book. Yep. <laughs> now that we know there was a deleted scene, it, it was already there. It just, it's gone now. Well, and that, that's why... It, it just doesn't make sense that they would cut that deleted scene out when they still have this portion of the film. And why, why didn't they add a line or something? And like, who knows what the schedule was and when things were filmed and when they were cut. But I just don't think they should have taken both pieces of this out or left both pieces in instead of taking one out and leaving one in. Yeah, yeah, I think so, because it it just seems like it's that classic Harry Potter movie trope where they, they're they like, oh, okay, this is something that happened in the book. Let's make sure we throw that in there. And so it's like a cop-out almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they've done that in so many ways already. And um, so I just feel like the Hagrid scene is another example of that, where they just like... Mm-hmm there was a moment where where Hagrid did like burst into Dumbledore's office so they made sure that they added that in there so that they can like get a little bit of almost every chapter in but it's like that doesn't quite fit if you're going to change so much for the movies then change everything for the movies don't just like throw in random lines there there's a very few exceptions where I think it's fine for them to keep the lines like not my daughter you bitch of course they had to put that in the movie (laughs) there's no way that they weren't going to put that one in there so Everything else, though, <laughs> I feel like I could just feel like it was kind of a it's just like, I don't know, half hearted to. to yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure it, it probably came down to a timing thing. But again, it just doesn't like it just doesn't make sense to have this portion kept in what he came out of nowhere and he has the chickens and there's no, uh, there's no explanation for the chickens. <laughs> like It's just uh, it's just silly. Yeah. It is, yeah, that's that I remember seeing that in the film, like when I first saw the movie and I'm like, why would they keep that in there? Like, yeah, you know, if you're like, it, what? 
just have, I guess, Dumbledore come in, but don't have the dead chicken or the dead roosters. Like, I yeah. don't, yeah, I agree. It's- and they totally could have done this scene without Hagrid, you know, because the line after right. that is you, you really don't think I did it. And it, it could have simply been, Harry, I don't think you did it. And he could have said, you don't think I did it? No, Harry, I don't. You know, we just right. didn't need this Hagrid scene without the first part earlier in the story. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. This is just one of those things that you kind of have to ask yourself, like, story element-wise when making an adaptation and deciding to cut things, like, how intertwined that moment you're like, I want to cut this moment, but, like, how intertwined is that moment in, in the rest of the story? Like, you can't just cut something and then go oh, it's not that important, but then realize that it's, like, connected to these five other things and it makes those five other things less important or less make, like, less, makes less sense or um, falls flat because we didn't have that build-up kind of scenario. And so it's... I definitely don't think editing a story would be a job I would want, for sure. Yeah. Because <laughs> it just... It's there's so much decision making involved, and you have to like there's so much consideration to to like to have when when deciding to cut things. It's not just cut and dry. It's 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 a lot more complicated for the many reasons that you were just saying, uh, but like many reasons on top of that. And so it's just interesting to 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 note that there are some edits that make really good sense, and there are some edits that don't. Uh, and it's it's just an interesting job point of view to for those people who are actually making those decisions on a consistent basis for their jobs and, and for the movies that and TV shows that they make. But you know, and another thing too that because I agree, I mean that's that's got to be such a difficult job to to do everything that they're doing. So <laughs> don't envy them. Um, but another thing that I feel like. Like the book is, again, it's so lighthearted and humorous, even with having such heavy, intense content. Mm -hmm. And J.K. Rowling definitely has a gift to be able to write that way. But with the films, like they could still do that. And so even again, with the Hagrid and the sorting hat scene in the books, they feel so much more lighthearted, but you still get a very, very good sense of exactly what Harry's emotions are while all of this is happening. And like Hagrid's, um, his upset that he feels and he really wants to make sure that Harry doesn't get in trouble. And you get the sense of what the the really strong emotions are, but it still feels more lighthearted. And like the way that Hagrid is written in the book in this scene with swinging the, the dead rooster around and feathers flying everywhere, like it's done in a way where it can be funny. And so then it's like they try to add in some, it's like they, I think that they tried to add that into the film to be funny, but it doesn't really land. You know, it's mm-hmm. like they miss the mark when they add in those things without more context and with flattening right. the rest of the character and the rest of the scene. Cause I, I think that they were trying to be kind of funny and humorous. And to me, it was not funny <laughs> the way that they did it in the film. It was like, I felt like, okay, I'm supposed to laugh at this because I can tell right. that they're trying to make me laugh. But um, James, in the deleted scene, he talks about the roosters, right? That they're dying. Something's killing them. I'd have to do a double take, yeah. but 
he definitely has the roosters, and I think Harry like brings it up, but I, and he, so he might have like a small little like brush off explanation, but it's not a big part of the. It's not a big focus of the scene itself. I remember that they do it in the in the last chapter. I just could I just didn't know if it they did it in the deleted scene because I haven't seen it, but um, it just brings it you know full circle, and we're only getting half the circle. Yeah. So the humor, like it would be, it would make more sense if we had, you know, the punchline is missing because we are missing the lead up, basically. Correct. So I have a little tidbit for the sorting hat part of the scene. James's tidbits. James's tidbits. <laughs> that's that's funny. Um, so. The term bee in your bonnet is derived from a Scottish idiom, a head full of bees, and dates back to the 1500s. The expression indicates that someone is experiencing a specific obsessive thought. Hmm. So, which makes sense because Harry's been obsessing over the thought of he should be in Slytherin. Mm -hmm. So, I always thought that was very interesting and now that yeah that is interesting little term makes sense in my brain because i was always like why use that as like a phrase like be in your bonnet that doesn't make sense we to have me, to ask our british correspondent karen if that is still a popular phrase adding it to, to the list okay cool well other than what okay. you guys brought up I think that the scene went pretty well between Harry and Dumbledore. Um, I think the office scene was adapted pretty well. <laughs> Other um, than how we just totally trashed it and said we hate everything about it. It went well. <laughs> well we, we only we trashed a certain portion of it. I know. Yeah, well, I'm just kidding. I, I started off with saying that it was fine. <laughs> yeah, because like the, the Hagrid scene is the part that didn't really make sense to any of us. But like overall, like the conversation between him and Dumbledore, Harry exploring Dumbledore's office experiencing mm -hmm. fox and being like ah, your perk caught fire like all of that just like worked really well and natural to like how the book was doing it it's just that it didn't end well the scene didn't throw its ending <clears throat> it didn't land its ending really well and that's what was the problem essentially speaking as so a former gymnast it was a very poor dismount as far as hagrid joining the scene <laughs> And speaking of Fox the Phoenix, um, what what did you guys think about the interpretation of seeing this burst into flames and then rebirth of the Phoenix? I liked it. For a practical effect, it was it, it would do pretty good. Mm -hmm. Practical? Effect? How do you? It was, I think most of it was practical. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was definitely a puppet for sure. Yeah, it looked like that. Because the fo the fox part in that scene was a was a puppet, and I believe they did set fire a little bit to it. Which, I th if I remember correctly, if I if I want in this um, special feature, I think that's what caught Daniel Radcliffe by surprise was because it actually caught fire and he was oh. like it gave him a genuine reaction i love when movie sets mm -hmm. productions do that and surprise yeah. actors and get their the actual reaction yeah. from the actor but don't take my word for it because that's just <laughs> yeah, based off of reactor. memory from like a while ago so 
the actual how do you think that the show can reinterpret this um not necessarily the whole scene but fox in in particular and how can we um hopefully not use complete cgi for the phoenix but get a different feel and make it different than what we saw here I don't know. That's a really good question, Sarah Day, that I'm not prepared for. I know. Like, wow. I like, like to put you guys on the spot. Just like the actors. Get your real reactions. I was going to say, talk about a filmmaker surprising us. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm not necessarily too worried about it because nowadays we've got really good... Um, practical and cgi effects that can kind of bring magical creatures to life and so i'm not necessarily worried about it i mean i'm just watching like the percy jackson series and mm-hmm. i love those effects right now because like those magical mm-hmm. creatures just coming to life because it, there's almost a realism to them that you know before compared to compared to the movie uh, there wasn't this, there, like there's a huge difference, and so just just based off of when this was made and when the TV show is going to be made, we're going to see you know, a humongous difference just because of technology and how far it's come. So it's not necessarily something I'm worried about. I think they'll do a good job. I think the design of Fox will will definitely come into play for sure uh, after long hard thought processes and all that and. Someone will. Someone will do a good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we've talked about the hat, the phoenix, and Hagrid, which are sort of the three main parts of this scene in Dumbledore's office. Do you guys have any further thoughts before we get to the main topic of the chapter? Um, no, but I, I do just want to say that after Harry says, no, there isn't anything, Professor, which I feel like we could talk for hours if we wanted about why or why not Harry might, um, like, could want to open up to Dumbledore, you know, why he doesn't want to open up or why he wants to, because Harry obviously has such complicated feelings. But that's like a whole, I feel like we could do a whole episode on Harry's complicated feelings about how much he wants to talk about the things that trouble him. Anyway, we can. Mm-hmm. Oh, let's do another podcast called Harry's Troubles. <laughs> yeah. And um, well, and like that dynamic between him and Dumbledore continues through the whole series of them right. trusting each other but not telling each other everything. Mm-hmm. Because I wrote down. And how that goes why, both ways. Mm-hmm. Well, exactly. Because I wrote down why doesn't Harry want to talk with Dumbledore about the parcel tongue? Like he knows that Dumbledore is going to know what's going on. But I get it. I could I can understand why Harry wouldn't want to talk about it. Um, but also, why isn't Dumbledore like prodding Harry more? Like Dumbledore knows he's a parcel tongue. <laughs> like why isn't he yeah. guiding him into it? Anyways, but that's a whole other thing that I feel like we don't need to get into right now. Um, because it's plot. It's for the plot, really. Um. But I do want to well, say. Also, no, it's go ahead. Dumbledore Harry. also really is trying to guide Harry through this series. So he's trying to get Harry to do things on his own. And I mean, that's even through the last book. He's like, why didn't you tell me about the Deathly Hollows?" And he says, you needed to know that. You, like, you needed to figure out what it was on your own. And so I think he's sort of like starting that process now not that he knew about the deathly hollows at this point but he 
really wants Harry to do things and figure out things on his own. At least that's mm-hmm. my head canon. <laughs> well, I mean, and Sorry, that makes sense, ahead. obviously, with how Dumbledore did not disclose like hardly any information to Harry. But it's also like thinking about it in the real world. I would be if my boss didn't tell me incredibly critical information about <laughs> how to do my job and my life depended on it. I would be like, excuse me, please tell me about what the Deathly Hallows are so that I can make sure that I do our accounting properly. <laughs> um, right. But anyways, so I what I want to say is I love that the word hitherto is used in the first <laughs> sentence after after this scene. And, and then it does a little, you know, like a little line break and it goes into the next scene and the word hitherto is used. Um, so shout out to that word for no real reason. other than <laughs> Is like that your Weasley salute tonight? <laughs> um, it almost was. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, <laughs> the, the next portion of this chapter is all about the polyjuice potion. The polyjuice potion is ready. And uh, Hermione gives Harry two cupcakes <laughs> to give to Crabbe and Goyle to knock them out so that they can get their hair for the potion. And then we take the potion and um, Hermione does not get to go on the adventure with Ron and Harry to the Slytherin common room where we have a conversation with Malfoy. Before I get into what I was about to get into, I just realized that I missed <laughs> two thoughts for the, um, for the last scene. There are two ring theories that happen in that scene. Um, I feel like we need a sound bite whenever it's James's tidbits and then ring theory now and then montage. We need sound bites for all of these. That would be hilarious. Um, so there are two instances. The ring theory is there the the mirror of the of this chapter, which I can't remember off the top of my head, is the second time. Hagrid talks about roosters being killed. So there are two times that roosters are being killed. So that's a small little one that doesn't necessarily have too big of a like impact on anything. Um, but there are two times, this is the second time Harry's been in an office all by himself and kind of snoops around with the mirror being Filch's office as the first one mm-hmm. and then Dumbledore's office being the second one where he's like, putting on the sorting hat uh, to figure out if he's in the right house or something like that. Mm-hmm. But anyways, those are two little quick bring theories. What I was going to say in regards to the polyjuice potion is I not have only one deleted scene, nor do I have two deleted scenes. Stop it. I have three deleted scenes for this section of the chapter. It's crazy. All right, fill us in. <clears throat> so, first one starts off with the, the like the holiday season is kind of close by. It's snowing. Uh, we have a bunch of students uh, hanging out in like the courtyard area. But um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione are like looking off an edge of like a wall, and Fred and George are in the courtyard yelling, "Hey, look, everybody! It's the heir of Slytherin." Oh. Uh, he's going off to like have tea with his monster friend or whatever like that. It's a fun little line, and Ron's like, "Don't pay him any attention." Uh, he, they're just you know having fun, and Harry kind of like rolls his eyes and starts walking back inside, um, and then kind of goes into a really big 
character moment that I'm kind of surprised they decided to take out. Like, it's... Uh, to me, it kind of, like, changes the perspective of the movie a little bit if that actually stayed in. But Harry, like, tells him, was like, I didn't know I could speak Parseltongue. Like, what else do I not know about myself? Like, he, he brings mm. up the idea that he maybe he is the heir of and he just doesn't know it. Uh, and Hermione has to, like, kind of calm him down and go, Harry, like, that's you know that's not true. Um, is this before Dumbledore's office or after? After. Okay, so he's already this put is, on the hat. And yeah, so that's is, still in the back of his mind, like, freshly in the back of his mind. Yes. So mm-hmm. this is, like, freshly and still in the back of his mind, and this is before the holiday season, because she goes, well, we still have one more chance to do it. The Apologies potion is ready to go, and Draco is staying over for the holidays. So mm-hmm. now is the time to do it, and like they basically say that they're going to execute their plan right then and there. Um, so as, to me, that was one of, like, the... F- one of the biggest instances where Harry kind of expresses his own doubt in himself in a major point of the story and to have taken that out was kind of like, whoa, you, you kind of just mold over that molt like that mountain and turned it into a, like a small little molehill in comparison because like the movie doesn't, isn't the same for me anymore based off of that scene, essentially. And I do invite you guys to go watch it because, it, like, they the actors do a really good job of, of like essentially doing it better than I can better than I can explain it. But, um, that was a really impactful scene, essentially compared to the other two, which are a little bit more minor in in comparison. But that one was kind of just like a big whoa, like, why did that one get cut? Like that sent up a bunch of question marks to me to be like. Why was that even considered to be on on the cutting room floor? Mm-hmm. That was all three. Yeah, that's... No, that was just one. I was just giving well, that was you just t- one. That was just one. <laughs> I was giving you guys time to see if you wanted to comment or anything like that. It's just really disappointing. I mean, I don't understand. Like we've, I mean, because like we talked about this with the first book or the first movie the amount of time that it would have taken or like the, the length of the movie had they added all of the scenes back in would not have made so much of a difference that like people wouldn't have been like, Oh, you know what? Now the movie's too long. Cause it added what, like it was like nine mm-hmm. minutes or something like right. that. I, I can't remember, but it's not like all it's going to do is just strengthen the film. It's not like people are going to be like, Oh, wait a second. I can't watch a movie that's over this many minutes how whatever that difference is it's not like it's adding another full hour so it's just really disappointing yeah i feel like when we get into the later movies we're gonna be very frustrated with things that they cut if it's like this when we're like why did they cut it out of this and there's so much added to later films for instance the shrunken heads in the next movie um one of my least favorite things in all of the harry potter films (laughs) What? <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I think they're hilarious. Um, but, you know, there's so much that they added in the later stuff that I feel like we're yeah. going to be very angry in, in future conversations if, if we continue to get scenes like this cut. Yeah. Especially because these books, these first two are like three to four hundred pages. And so 
with the ones that are way longer. You know, book five is almost 900 pages for the the hard the original hardback one that came out, at least in the U.S. I mean, that's a lot that got cut out, as we know. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. <clears throat> so the second one is Harry and Ron dragging Crab and Goyle's bodies into the broom cupboard. Mm-hmm. And then running into the bathroom where Hermione is stirring the cauldron of polyjuice potion. And Harry and Ron get a really good look at it. And they're disgusted because it looks really gross. And they're just like, ugh. But she asks them if they have the hairs. And they're like, yep, here it is. And they see the Slytherin robes. And she's like, I had to sneak those out from the laundry. And um, oh, I just watched it to refresh my memory. There was something else. Oh, she explains how the apologies potion will work, how they're going to have like one hour to uh, to be able to go in and get this information. But then that's where the scene cuts. I think maybe the description of Hermione saying that they have one hour would be useful, but I don't think we need to see, you know, uh, Harry and Ron dragging Crab and Goyle into the locker. I'm fine with this scene being cut, but maybe just adding her a little bit more context on what the polyjuice potion is because we really haven't gotten a lot of that in the film yeah exactly it's almost like a side like little side plot when it's like a huge well i mean i know the chamber is the huge portion but this polyjuice potion has been in the book at least such a huge thing that they've been working towards and um it just feels like you know it was glossed over yeah, so the third scene, we're not. I'm not going to necessarily get into because it happens after Draco. So those are those are the deleted scenes. Well, yeah, go ahead and tell us the third one because we're talking about this whole section of the chapter as a whole. So it, oh, okay. I think then, it would be valuable information well, to have. This is, I mean, <laughs> defined valuable <laughs> because the deleted scene is like a quick. Not even 10 seconds, I would say. It's it's after Harry and Ron have confronted Draco and they're running out Mm -hmm. of the Slytherin common room. And the scene opens with Crab and Goyle walking out of the broom closet. And they're (laughs) they're like rubbing their heads going like, oh, like it hurts. And they run into a doorway and Harry and Ron still kind of look like Crab and Goyle run into them. They all look at each other kind of like, but Crab and Ron and Ron's Harry, Ron and Harry's Crab and Goyle is like red hair crab mm-hmm. and black haired Goyle, and they're all just kind of like, oh, and they both like bolt it, and Crab and Goyle look at each other, going like, huh? <laughs> they're like, what did what, what just happened? Mm-hmm. And it was just like a quick little ten second scene. It was hilarious. I think they should have kept it in just because of like the light heartedness of it all, but. Yeah, I'm fine with that one being cut, actually. <laughs> yeah. I, don't I mean, it's one. like, yeah, that those are the things that are like fun little additions, but not plot points that are right. Like, not necessary. Missed. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But I would have liked it to be in the film just to be like a nice little addition. I think that would have been funny. Yeah, I have no problem with all of those fun little things being added in. I want them all to be added in. But if they are going to cut that would make sense to cut something like that out, but not the other deleted scenes. Right. Not Hagrid's conversation. 
So there you have it. There's the three deleted scenes. The most deleted scenes that has happened in a chapter segment of our an analysis, by the way. Hmm. I don't think we're ever going to see another chapter have three deleted scenes. Probably. I don't know. We'll figure it we out. Good. I, we still have several movies. Is that Six a, movies. Is that a challenge? Yeah. It probably is a challenge. We'll figure it out later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think if I have anything else about this. Well, I I wrote down Fred and George being funny about the air of Slytherin. Of course, I'm going to write down whatever's comedy stuff. Um, so it sounds like they at least took care of that in a deleted scene. Because again, I think that that's a little detail that really adds to their character. I'm sick of Fred and George being cut out of everything. Uh, but it it gives that lightheartedness to the whole story. So when they cut those things out, it just kind of, just kind of sucks. Um, but definitely they aren't, you know, critical to the plot. Um, and like in this, in this scene, or I guess this between time bef between um, Dumbledore's office and then the polyjuice potion, there's a lot of like montage type of stuff that they could keep or i guess christmas is next before polyjuice potion well polyjuice potion happens christmas night but you know like i think there's just there's lots of montage opportunities and there's a lot of jenny's stress that comes through in the book that does does not come through in the mm -hmm. film and then but we don't even scene. see her do we in this no section of the film yeah i'm just like why we would she is like pretty important yeah <laughs> the whole like results of this book yeah like and all so, of that anxiety that she's seeing plays a, a huge role later you know and yeah. it's like they just completely skipped over all of this yeah it's crazy and then percy he's not as you know important to the whole plot as Ginny, but there's a lot more of percy in this book that gets taken out which is true for every book that percy's in of course but um like i thought i thought it was really funny when he said that uh, he his job was to support the teachers during this trying time or whatever. However he worded that, I thought that that was really funny. But again, it's like those mm -hmm. things where he's so pompous and what he does is so important. And so when they like completely remove everything about him, then we don't even get a sense of his character at all. You know what I'd love to see? It's not something from the book that I'd like to see. I would just like to see... Um, Percy and Lockhart in a conversation together. Oh my god, that would be so much fun. <laughs> yes, that would be Let's hilarious. <laughs> All right, Max, are you listening? Please include mm -hmm. a scene of those two. Yeah, they're listening for sure. Any other thoughts on this portion of the chapter before we hop into our pleasure peeve and salute? I mean, <clears throat> adaptation-wise, I think the conversation between Harry and Ron and Draco uh, went really well. Um, just like, you know, the experience of the Slytherin common room uh, in the movie was was pretty spot on for me, I feel like. But overall, just like the conversation that they had, I feel like, I, if I remember correctly, there's like a few um added lines uh based off of like the actors improv improving and like the director maybe making a suggestion here or there but like 
for example, like uh, I, I think it's um, Draco confronting Percy, and he's like, and then he's like sees Goy and is like, "Hey, why are you wearing glasses?" And Harry's like, "Oh, sorry, reading," uh, or something like that. And Draco's like, "I didn't know you could read." Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that. Uh, that was like a line he just came up with, mm-hmm. and the director was like, "Let's just keep that. That's great." Um, so. Again, I just it's a, a testament to these young actors' ability to kind of just bring these characters to life because that's Draco in a heartbeat, just like how he was the entire time. Tom Felton did a really good job of just embracing the same kind of what is it called? Um, I can't think of the word, but just like the same kind of aura that. Draco gives in the book and it's it's really awesome to kind of see that come to life essentially but I think that scene was really well spaced out really well played and kind of just did its did its portion of the job of revealing that Draco and his father wasn't the the heirs of Slytherin and that they didn't open the chamber and you know getting the information of it being opened 50 years um 50 years ago kind of scenario Yeah, I like um I think that's a really good point with their their acting. Like I think a lot of the writing in all of the films can get kind of cheesy and I do think that a big part of it is that they try to add in certain lines from the books but they remove a lot of the context that the books have and so the lines to me feel awkward in the films. But the the actors when you can tell that they're they're left to their own devices a little bit more, I think that they do a really good job of improving some lines or putting their own spin on it so i think that that's pretty true for all of the films and it's amazing to see especially when they're all so young that they that they have that talent and they're able to do that meeks do you have a lightning round today um i um I think that they did an okay job with showing the like magical um, Christmas at Hogwarts, you know, like having a little mm-hmm. bit of it, but they really don't show a lot of, I don't know, they take out a lot of the the details about Christmas and Christmas is such an important holiday for Harry because he didn't get that at all until he mm-hmm. started going to Hogwarts. So in the shows, I want to see them emphasizing the holidays a little bit more because that's so important to him. Um and uh Hermione being in the boys dormitory and they're just like stunned they're like why you're not allowed to be in here and she's just like oh whatever I'm you know yes I am (laughs) and Mm -hmm. so I think like those little moments are really funny and it it shows the dynamic between the three of them uh Scabbers was mentioned in the book um in this chapter and real quick talking about her coming into the boys dormitory i think is going to be really important to show that scene because later in a later book the boys try to go to the girls dormitory and they can't um and so that Mm -hmm. just like comes full circle they are like well you've come into ours why can't we go Mm -hmm. into yours although maybe in today's climate it won't fit (laughs) right but I think it is funny because she's like, well, it's because the founders decided that the boys weren't trustworthy. <laughs> right. And so um, I just think it's like, again, the way that it's written is really lighthearted and funny and, mm-hmm. you know, like a quick, quick wit type of 
thing. And so I just want to see anytime that there's anything like that, of course, I want to see it in the TV show because they'll have time. They'll have more time to add in those details. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, just the, oh, I wrote down, I don't remember why I wrote this down, but I said something about Harry seeing the gifts from the Dursleys or seeing Hedwig and the gifts from the Dursleys. So I forgot why I wrote that. Um, so if anybody knows why I wrote that, then cool. You understand what was in my head. Um, but yeah, I just want to see more Christmas stuff in general. Um, and then with the polyjuice potion scene when they're talking with Draco, um, they didn't really mention in the film the inquiry at work, right? That Arthur right. Weasley. Yeah. And Correct. I think that was, that was not good for them to take that out because, again, there's so much with the Weasley family that shows up throughout the whole series. And um, so, I mean, it's like, fine i guess like i think mm-hmm. it was fine what they did but it's just i feel like that is a pretty big thing that they took out um that they should that wouldn't have been difficult for them to keep in yeah um okay and oh oh and sorry i can't i also can't remember if this was in the film i don't think it was but malfoy mentions the drawing room how they have the they have something secret in their drawing room back at Malfoy Manor, right? That right. wasn't in the film. Right. Um, so I that's super important to keep that in because that's major foreshadowing for mm-hmm. later on in the series. So um wish that they would have kept that in. And um one other thing or two other things. Um, I thought that the lighting change when they went from like uh, when they had the cupcakes for Crab and Goyle and it looked like the, you know, the typical like warm lighting that is of that's like present in the Hogwarts castle when they're filming. And then when they went into Moaning Myrtle's bathroom, the lighting was totally different because they were making it a little bit like spookier and gloomier. And it's like really cool lighting, uh, cool as in uh, not warm. Cool tones, And yeah. so I think that I think that that was good that they did that because it really made it the that scene feel a lot different and like the the vibe of that room feel a lot different. So I thought that was a smart choice. Um, and the special effects for uh, Harry changing into crab. No, Goyle. Yes. <laughs> what, whoever you changed it to. Whoever it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, that was great especially for that Mm -hmm. time period you could tell that because they like they really focused on it they probably put so much of their special effects budget into that moment and then of course at the end too when they have when they're fighting the basilisk they probably put um quite a bit of their special effects budget into that but um that i thought that that was really 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 good yes okay that's it i actually wanted i wanted a little bit more out of it after reading the book and yeah, realizing there's, like there's... how much pain he was in in the transformation, like I, it yeah. didn't feel like Harry was in pain in the movie. Like the special effects was great. I really liked the transition from Harry to Goyle. But mm-hmm. after reading the book again, and it was just like Polyjuice Potion apparently really hurts. Well, <laughs> yeah, it must be painful to do that. And so I want to see your DNA. So I want to see that transformation happen a little bit more, you know, on the painful Mm -hmm. side. Just be like having that experience of your body just growing and all of a sudden and just like your face and muscles and bones moving around to make this new shape. And 
I definitely am excited to see what the TV show does with it because they could do a whole lot with the you know yeah. transformation of the polyjuice potion. Um, speaking of the pain, it makes you wonder like what Hermione went through with being the cat, which isn't supposed to be polyjuice potion either. So it's like a whole other level. Oof. Yeah. Well, wait, hold on. I have that just made me think of something. So in the film, when they're looking at the at the polyjuice potion. Uh, book don't they the uh the potions book don't they have an image of a woman changing into a spider or am i thinking of a different scene or different um image when they're looking at a potions book because i don't remember that in the book i would have to go back and see because if that's true i wonder if they added that in because they thought it would be a cool picture but yeah because polyjuice potion isn't not supposed to be maybe i'm thinking of something else maybe i'm thinking of one in book three when they're looking at something like animagus animagus yeah maybe that's what i'm thinking of or the werewolf i I remember a picture of a woman with like a spider on her head which is disgusting Hmm. huh anyways I just Googled it, but nothing is really coming up. <laughs> okay, so are we ready for our Peeves' pleasures? Yep. James, kick us off. Peeves' pleasure of this film uh, would have to be the <clears throat> Goyle and Crab um, being impersonated by Harriet Ronstein. Yeah, I don't know mm-hmm. how. There was a simpler way of saying that. Um, Harry, but basically just Harry and Ron being able to go in and impersonate them, but like also being themselves, and just like how casual, like how bad they were playing the like these two guys. Because like Draco would say something, and they're just like, "Stop it! You like you act natural. Like this is normal for us." Um, it's just um, it's just amazing like how well they did that and yet you have to give the actors credit because it's the actor who plays goyle acting like harry who's playing like goyle and so whenever you yes. have like those like immensely complex things when you're thinking about it it's just like you're not acting like yourself you're acting like somebody who's acting like this person so i'd love to jump in here because uh, my pleasure is also it's the it's um jamie waylett and josh hurtman who play crab and goyle and they're acting and um i feel like harry that all the movies where polyjuice potion is used they have nailed this acting everybody that has done polyjuice potion has nailed the acting um you know in the later books we get the the trio at the ministry and we get hermione played by helena bartam carter and like it's just always so great and it starts here and being so young um i thought they really knocked it out of the park um acting like harry and ron and even like you're saying that awkwardness of interacting with draco which, I mean, it just is, it's a lot of credit to them, which, mm-hmm. you know, is, they're two people that don't get a lot of credit overall. Like, they're, they're, you know, people know who they are, but overall, like, they're not in every single movie. 
Um, well, yeah, I one believe... of them got kicked out of the series, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that alone, but, like, just still, like, like how, for how young they were and just, like, how interactive they were. Like, that's, you gotta give credit where credit's due. Mm-hmm. And they don't always get the same, you know, gratitude or attention to other actors who played bigger parts in, in, the, in those roles. And you gotta, you gotta remember the little guy sometimes. Yeah. All right, Meeks, what's your pleasure? My pleasure is baby Dan when he is looking at Fox, when Fox is like cooing and stuff and baby Dan's <laughs> little face. He does, He's like the perfect little pleading emoji face. Um, okay. <laughs> when I watched this and I saw Dan, I said to myself, Meeks is going to love this yeah. acting from Dan. <laughs> I didn't think it would be your pleasure. <laughs> I mean, I well, I guess I could have chosen something else, but I was like, no, I'm gonna do this because I like I stopped what I was you. doing and just looked at the screen, and I was like, oh my god, this is the most precious thing I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> okay, James, uh, what was your peeves peeves of this chapter? Uh, my peeves peeve is definitely that deleted scene. Uh, just because of like, just because of like how impactful it is. Out of all the deleted scenes I've seen up to this point, there's really been and like <clears throat> a reason that I could get behind to be like, yeah, I can understand why they got rid of it. Sure. But this one was just, I don't know. It was just too much, uh, almost. And to to it kind of just makes me, you know, wonder. Who made who made the choice? Who who came up with that? Because obviously they didn't know much about character growth or store like story in general, and they're just like, nope, that's not a scene important. Just shorten it and like put those lines somewhere else. Say that they're gonna make apologies potion somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, say that it's the holidays somewhere else. Like it's it's a little bit infuriating just to be like. That was such an important moment for Harry to say out loud to his friends and then get some support for, Mm -hmm. because they're supporting him. They're saying, like, no, that's not possible. You need to believe that you're not the bad guy. Like, it's a lot. And so it's just, I don't know. It's, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to ramble, ramble, ramble until I just infuriate everybody. But it's just just like, no. Yeah. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Meaning, so what was your peeve? Um, this is a peeve that's also for the it's the book and the film do this, and it's also the time period. And so I don't think that this would be the same this would be written the same way nowadays, but the fat shaming with Crab and Goyle, um, with being obsessed with the cupcakes and like it's yeah, it would be one thing if it was like, oh, they love sweets, so we'll give them some sweets and they'll take it. But like how there's a lot of times where something like this pops up in the books and then in the movie they just like really pile it on to like they're walking mm-hmm. through the halls carrying like 40 cupcakes and then like it's just I don't know I feel like there's other ways that can that you can um talk about a character not being a good person and so when you add something like that to it I just I think that that's in bad taste but I do think that that it was not even noticed at all 
back then. Like that was not something that I would have really thought about. I would have been probably Mm -hmm. giggling and just like, oh, yep, that's part of their character. And then now I feel like we are a little bit more respectful of people. (laughs) And so I I don't think that that would, um, if these books were written now. And then I think in the TV show, they probably would handle it a little bit different would be my guess. So it's, that's my peeve, but I very much understand the like the time period and all of that. It, that, that yeah, it it's definitely going to be interesting to see the differences because there's a couple things from, you know, this the original series that of course will have to be updated for yeah. <laughs> today's audiences. Yeah, yeah. And it definitely was a, a time period thing for sure because, mm-hmm. like, I think I remember reading somewhere that J.K. Rowling pictured Harry's enemies as more of like. Especially like the Dursleys, like just mm-hmm. these big, gro- like grotesquely detailed, out of character. Like you can't really imagine a physical person like that. But there you have it. It's like described that way. And so Crab and Goyle are like basically the same thing. It's like these big, bulky, ghoulish like characters that hang around Draco Malfoy all the time. Um, yeah. And so, like, the way that she described it back then was just, like, a just an emphasis on, on those kinds of things. And so it was very easy to interpret it as, oh, yeah, they're, they're, there's these big bulky guys that like to eat sweets and or stuff their faces mm-hmm. and all that stuff because that's what bad guys do. Um, and that's just really common for that up until... I mean, even like 10, 15 years ago, I think that was really, that was how it was. Like the, if you're super overweight, then you're probably bad. (laughs) You're not going to be a good person, like, or one of the heroes. And all the heroes are going to be at least somewhat slender or, or muscly or whatever. So I think that that's just totally a time period thing. Um, but I, I, I did want to. I totally mention agree. Mention it as something that I hope that gets changed for the TV show. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about, like, because authors not even not just J.K. Rowling either. Like, there was a ton of authors that would use those kind of character descriptors to Absolutely, be like, yeah. easily tell who's the bad guy and easily tell who's the good guy. And right. but nowadays, you watch what's coming out now, and you realize that a lot of the storytelling is more morally based and we actually have a lot more people even in the younger audiences understand what morals are and 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 how they work and how they can influence people and so we're we're actually getting down to like the nitty-gritty of it all and so i'm actually interested to see some of the changes that they might make too because essentially you can't really tell a story like you've told back 20 years ago um, because yeah. it, those those tropes, those character tropes in of itself aren't enough mm-hmm. to satisfy a person who, who was interested in, in watching a story unfold. It They want to have that essence. They want to have that personality. They want to have, like, the, they want to understand why a character acts a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, they there were a we're a community that's really focused on the ethos of it all, essentially, um, and and how the human brain works. And so it's interesting to see how we're going to take this story and transform it into that kind of um, that kind of process for sure. Yeah. Um, well, 
in a true example of you guys being Raymond Claus and me being a Hufflepuff, you had very wise and thoughtful uh, peeveses. Um, and my peeves's peeve was that the cupcakes that Hermione, like the prop, the cupcakes props were just like terrible. They looked they like were plastic. They so bad. Awful things. <laughs> and I hated them. They didn't have a wrapper on them. She just had them in her hand and plopped them on the table. And then they're yeah. floating in the air. Whereas in the book, they actually put them on like a, a, a stand. They're not just floating in the air. They're put, I think there's like on the staircase railing and they see them yeah. there. Um, no, I and I just really, really, bad. really hated them. <laughs> so they, bad. <laughs> they did the Wingardium Leviosa callback, basically. Yes, yes, yes. Which we talked about that before, too, about just how, like, um, it's, like, the one spell that just happens throughout the whole film. But, um, yeah, so that was my peeve. I hated the way the cupcakes looked. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were stupid, so. <laughs> they were so stupid. <laughs> um, Watch, they okay, were probably so- made... They were probably, like, made by somebody who was, like, I don't know. There's probably some, like, really important reason why they looked the way that we did. And we're just, like, they looked so bad. But and they I were just like- a prop. And they were they were bad. A bad prop. <laughs> yeah. I, really I want real freshly baked was. cupcakes in the show. <laughs> yeah. I don't, know. I don't know what that decision was. But... <laughs> I mean, and she was holding them by the icing part, and she didn't have any icing on her hands. And it's just like, it was so, it just took me out, is all I'm saying. It took me out of the film. Well, I mean, that's a, a, that's a very good peeve. Well, <laughs> maybe, maybe we should ask our British correspondent, is that what's going on with the cupcakes in Great Britain? <laughs> Early plastic. <laughs> What's the cupcake sitch like over in England? All right. So um, I do have a better salute when we get to it. So James, go ahead and tell us what your salute was. Uh, Oh, boy, man. That was fun. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The my Weasley salute is pretty simple. Um, It's just going to be Richard Harris and this um, and the scene of Dumbledore. Me too. That was mine. Um, because uh, essentially, I I always forget how much he like puts into the character, mm-hmm. but like also with how old he was and like mm-hmm. how challenging it was for him to continue acting. But like he was just doing this because he loves acting, and it was part. It's you know it was a part of his life, and he, it's just so amazing. Like how well he embodied the character in a specific way what um that you know michael gambon's dumbledore didn't even you know come close to in regard and michael gambon's dumbledore dumbledore when we get to that for sure uh in the third book um has his own you know best qualities in a sense um but it, Richard's Harris Dumbledore bring, brings to the table a lot of the things that I feel like s- were very strongly, um, what's the word, were very strongly present in the books. <clears throat> Just like his kind hardness, the tenderness of his eyes, um, just the, you know, 
just all the little subtle things that don't necessarily come through with Michael Gambon's character uh, portrayal. But, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to think and wonder what would have been like if he continued to play Dumbledore if we were mm-hmm. that lucky to have that opportunity. Um, and what would he have done differently compared to, you know, what Michael Gambon did. But overall, just like, I'm glad that we got something with him because he bring he brought, you know, parts of the character to life. But I'm also glad that we got Michael Gambon to come through because he brought things to the character that... What do you mean Michael Gambon was in Harry Potter? (laughs) (laughs) Good callback. (laughs) Good callback, Meigs. Um... Anyways, yeah. So that's he, Richard Harris will be my Weasley salute now because essentially, like, this is one of the last parts that we're actually going to—not the last, but like one of the last parts that are going to come up in the film. But we're not going to get a lot of him much more, mm-hmm. and we're going to completely transform into another actor portraying this mm-hmm. character uh, going forward, and so. I think it definitely is great to remember what he's done and the contributions he's brought to the story and and everything. So. Um, I lost my train of thought. Um, I loved him as Dumbledore and I thought that he really embodied the character so well and definitely nailed the look of Dumbledore. Um, and Michael Gambon was fine. Um, I don't think I view Gambon as highly as you do. Um, I, and I think I'm very salty about the fact that he like actively did not read the series um, to even understand who Dumbledore was. Um, and I don't know if um, Richard Harris did or not, but I would love to see that Richard Harris look come over to the show um, but have somebody that's a little bit more spry because we do need that quirkiness to come through too. Um, I don't, I don't need any part of Gambin's Dumbledore to come through, but I need Richard Harris plus a little bit of quirkiness. And then I think we had the perfect Dumbledore. So I'm really excited to see who they cast. Um, well, one thing I, I forgot to mention actually in my lightning round is that, so if you'll remember um, the word hitherto was written in this chapter. So was the word comeuppance. <laughs> so I feel like, I feel like um, she was really winning with uh, word choices here. <laughs> My salute was Tom Felton's acting. Um, I thought mm. that I thought he did just such a great job. Like we talked about earlier and you could tell he was um, given a little bit, like a little longer of a leash maybe to, try and because this was like probably the most lines that he's had in the I mean there's like a very few other scenes throughout the whole film series where he has this many lines and so um he was really given an opportunity to showcase his acting skills and I thought he did such a great job especially at such a young age Mm -hmm. agreed and I you know I don't need to say much more about Richard Harris than I did so 
With all that said, thank you for causing havoc with us today. Next time, we will be discussing The Chamber of Secrets, Chapter 13, A Very Secret Diary. This is about um, an hour and 25 minutes through an hour and 34 minutes of the film. James, where can our listeners find you? They can find me on Instagram and TikTok for James M. Beltran. Uh, just, you know, I don't do a lot, but you, you can you follow me there if you're interested. And you can find me, Meeks, on Instagram at M-E-G-A-N underscore L-A-C-H-O-W-S-K-I. And then from there, you can find all my other projects. And you can find me, Sarah Day, on Instagram at captain.mcd, that's M-C-D-D. And you can find my other projects linked there as well. You can follow the podcast on Instagram and TikTok at PSSGabFest. Ickle Firsties, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a five-star review if you can. If you're as mischievous as we are, consider joining our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash PSSGabFest. If you have any feedback for us, please leave us a voicemail at 409-422-3378. That's 409-GAPFEST. Or email us at peevesisgapfest at gmail.com. Also, come and join the conversation over in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash peevesisgapfest. Or just search peevesisgapfest on Facebook. Until next time, Mickle Firsties.